Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together, we delve into it, unpack it in efforts to help you, the listener, read your Bible at home. Hey guys, how are you doing? Doing well? Good. Doing well. Doing Good. well. Now, you may be wondering... Uh, why we're sort of wearing the same clothes and um yes we do record these in batches and uh we usually try and record uh these in uh, two two episodes per per day um so when we gave you the challenge last week about fasting um we haven't ourselves actually tried it um in the in the small in between break that we did to be fair we didn't eat any food no, in the we last didn't half it. hour no, we didn't. But we will be checking up on you guys and looking at our, our fasting and talking about our experience as well with it in the next episode. So I believe that one's number seven, if I'm getting my... Um, yes. No, episode six. Episode six. There we go. Episode six. But uh, continue to do it. Continue sending it in because in the meantime, we'll still see them through um, our social media. So if you want to send it through uh, us, your experiences, keep on sending them. So just quickly, my my name's Josh. I'm Joshua Lee. I'm the PK. I've got Morgan Carter, the newbie, and we've got Lachlan Miller, the expert here. Hello. Hello. I mean, uh, speaking of clothes that we're wearing, <laughs> I've realized that uh, our producer specifically asked us not to wear clothes with lots of logos on it. Because this goes out on YouTube, so if you're wondering why we're speaking about what we look like and you actually want to see that, go to YouTube. Mm. Um, but I accidentally wore a shirt with my like youth group logo plastered all over it, <laughs> um, which is fun because tonight we have a huge evangelistic invite night event, which I'm going to straight from this and I'm very excited about. Mm. And so a little insight about what's coming up next for me in the next few hours after we record this. Nice. And, and what's your role in, in, in all that? What are you doing specifically? Yeah, so I'm the youth pastor um, at my church. And so I'm taking just the oversight of the night. Um, I've lined up a good friend of mine to come and be our speaker and deliver the gospel to a range of kids and just checking in on all my leaders and all the different sub teams that have been put together to make the night go well. Nice. Excellent. So Morgan, you said that you've been in the UK for the last like month. What was your favourite moment of being in the UK? Um, my favourite part was probably I spontaneously got tickets to Coldplay in Glasgow. Nice. Um, bucket list item, best thing I've ever been to, and it's made me decide that I want to work on tour. <laughs> <laughs> but specifically what do, doing doing what though? I want to use the um, Makita big lawn blowers, like the leaf blowers, and clean the confetti off the stages at the end. <laughs> Just so we're clear, we're not sponsored by Makita. <laughs> but if they are listening, we are open to our conversation. Yeah, I want to go on tour. Nor are we sponsored by Coldplay. No, if they <laughs> no, want but, to. Yeah, we could yeah. probably arrange that. But um, yeah, seeing Coldplay live in Scotland, that was really cool. Mm, For sure. It's really cool. I always wanted to go to Scotland, just especially the countryside looks. So pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, today we are jumping back into the Matthew and mm -hmm. what... What chapters are we doing, Morgan? We are doing 10, 10 just 10, but we're going to finish off the rest of nine that we didn't. We sure are. Oh, yeah, nice. Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. If you haven't already, please pause now and read this chapter. In this chapter, we find Jesus' second major sermon, which focuses on the disciples' mission to Israel, which will prepare them for a worldwide mission and what characteristics Jesus' disciples will need to embody as they carry out that mission. So we decided to leave the final bit of chapter 9 for this episode because mm. it sets up so well what we're about to read through in 10. Because what we see in the end of chapter 9 is Jesus has been teaching, he's been proclaiming the good news, and he's been healing. And then he, he sees the crowds, he sees the nation, and it says he has compassion on them. Like compassion here is a strong emotional response. And then he exclaims that there is so much need that he's seeing that more people need to get involved in this mission that Jesus is doing. More people need to go around teaching, proclaiming and healing. And then we jump into chapter 10 and Jesus gives the second big sermon of the gospel of Matthew, which is why we've decided to just look at chapter 10 this week because it's one self-contained sermon of Jesus. And he gives a sermon about sending out his disciples to fulfill this need that has elicited this emotional response in Jesus to the people. Mm. So this is sort of 
that there are you know there are few workers for this harvest and and it's the and the harvest is what Jesus is coming to set out to to do and he's sort of getting his workers as sort of illustrated just before before then yes <laughs> i agree <laughs> i concur so then we go to chapter 10 and we see the need that he was talking about being fulfilled by providing workers and so here we have the list of what Matthew calls the 12 apostles. Um, other mm. gospels call them the 12 disciples at this point. doesn't give them the word apostles until post-Jesus' death. But here, the 12 apostles. Can I start by asking what makes someone an apostle or a disciple or who chose who the 12 were? Yeah, so from here it just seems like Jesus chose 12 men to be his apostles. Now the word apostle means one who is sent out, which is really really helpful for this chapter because the whole sermon Jesus is about to give is about how he's sending these 12 men out on a mission. Mm. And so apostle just means sent one. And these are 12 people Jesus has specifically chosen to start this mission. He's giving them authority to to drive out any impurities, Mm. spread the good news and heal, which at this point, it was only Jesus healing. It wasn't any of his followers. No, we haven't heard of anyone else among Jesus's cohort healing yet. Mm. And so he, he gives him the authority to start copying his actions effectively. Mm. I was th- thinking we should go through this list of 12 apostles because mm-hmm. they're pretty important biblically and historically. And so just wondering what we know about each of these men as we go through it. So, so we start off with Simon, who is called Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why two names? It's a good question. Oh, it's <laughs> I, I want to know why Josh is laughing so oh, much first, just, to be just, honest. I, I'm just laughing because it's always just, it, you know, Simon Peter was like, you know, you, you, you go up to Jesus and you introduce yourself as saying, like, my name is Simon. And he's like, no, it's now Peter. And you're like, what? But, but, <laughs> why? But just, you know, think about like all the, or everyone else in your life that you're like, no, I have to now tell that my name is Peter. Go Maybe go up to your parents. My name is Peter now. I remember seeing good uh, comic strip strip once where it was um, Simon who just got business cards printed that said Simon the Fisherman (laughs) and he's handing them out and then he goes up to give Jesus a Simon the Fisherman business card and Jesus goes, your name is now Peter. And he goes, no, my business Uh, cards. So Peter's almost effectively a nickname, right? So Peter translates to the rock. And so Jesus uh, gives him this name and later on will announce that on this rock, on this person, he will build his church. And so mm. in every list of the 12 disciples slash apostles that we ever see, Simon is always the person listed first. Mm. And here in Matthew, it actually says first Simon. Now, when you're starting a list in Greek, you don't have to write first. Like that's an unnecessary word. So it seems to be portraying more than just, hey, this is a list, pay attention. Simon is first on the list. It seems to be conveying that he he's the leader in some sense of this group. He's... Uh, is he? He's the one that sort of at, at, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he's sort of the main guiding person for uh, for all the apostles after, like afterwards, right? Is am I getting that correct? Or yeah, he takes a real leadership role post Jesus' death. Um, the phrase that's commonly used about Peter is that he was the first among equals. Mm. So the 12 disciples or the original leaders of the early church were all equal, but often Peter's voice was deferred to because he was one of Jesus' inner circle. Like if you have Jesus as, a, as the character, you then have his three closest friends, which is Peter, James, and John, mm-hmm. and then you have the rest of the 12 from there. Mm. And so he's, Peter really is part of the inner circle. Um, I taught a scripture lesson on Peter just the other week, and I described him to the kids as, be, as Jesus' best mate. <laughs> like this is how I was describing Peter. Mm. And because of that closeness to Jesus, he really takes such an amazing leadership role in the church going forward. Mm. And it sort of, sort of foreshadows both the, him being first but also the nickname, you know, being the rock mm. of, of, the, of the church after Jesus' resurrection and death. Yeah. So next on the list is his brother, Andrew. Andrew. Anything we know about Andrew? Other than he was a fisherman. <laughs> with Simon. Yep, yep, with his brother. Um, you've probably heard of St. Andrew's Cross. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is not the crucifix cross, but just like an X shape. Um, church tradition says that Andrew was crucified for his faith and asked to be crucified on a cross 
of a different shape to his Lord Jesus. And so the Roman governor of the time was like, okay, here's a big X and then crucified him on that instead Mm. of the traditional crucifix. Similarly, actually, Peter was crucified as well for his belief and tradition states that he was crucified upside down for the same reason because he didn't want to die in the same manner as his Mm. Lord because he thought he was unworthy for that. So they apparently crucified him upside down. So Peter and his brother Andrew had a bit of a rough go. <laughs> yeah, are they? They were they the first to be um, persecuted and killed for their belief? No, actually, the next person on the list is the first oh. um, death we see um, in terms of the the twelve apostles. Um, you got James, son of Zebedee. So James is one of the inner circle. He was one of Jesus's three closest friends, along with his brother John. And we actually read about his death in Acts 12. Mm. And so pretty early on, you have Jesus's three closest friends and under a year from the church starting, you've already lost one of the three. Mm. And then you've got his brother John. He uh, He's a pretty big figure in Christianity. Um, anyone know why? The writer John? Is that it? Is that Ryder John? Yeah, Ryder John. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> We've made this mistake in the past. <laughs> well, there's four books of the New Testament with the name John in them. You got the Gospel of John, then you got one John, two John, three John. Mm. You also have the Book of Revelation, which is ascribed to John as well. And so that's a fairly huge chunk of the Bible to uh, be pumping out in your spare time. Yes, yes. And how? <laughs> and if it was all the same, John, how how would you how would you be writing it when you were dead? <laughs> yeah, it's not John the Baptist. No, it's <laughs> We've not. had this discussion. <laughs> the next person we see on the list is Philip. Now, you'd be forgiven if you didn't really know a lot about him because uh, in the rest of Matthew, he doesn't really do much. We <laughs> we see his calling, like the, the time he met Jesus in John's gospel. Otherwise, we don't see a lot of him um, in the rest of the Bible. There's, it gets confusing because lots of characters have similar names, right? So you hit the book of Acts and there's a deacon appointed who is called Philip. And there's lots of stories about that Philip, but m- most people think they're two different Philips rather mm. than the same one. It's like how there's many Marys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And many Johns and, and many, many Simon. Like even within this list of 12 disciples, there's a lot of double up of names, which is why mm. a lot of nicknames are used. And then Bartholomew. Yeah. Which is a fun, strong word. Name, <laughs> Bartholomew. Well, we know what Josh's firstborn is going to be called. That's helpful. Bartholomew Lee. <laughs> this is another one we know very little about. Um, in John's gospel, we see a guy called Nathaniel, and we're pretty confident he's the same person as this Bartholomew. So it'd be one is a family name and one is like a first name, but we're pretty confident that they are the same person, um, which is also the same with Matthew, the tax collector, the writer of this gospel who appears a bit further down on the list. In all the other gospels, he's called Levi. So Levi, he was probably a Levite by background. That's a family mm. name, whereas Matthew with his, was his first name. So I've got a few double-up names going on. Um, Thomas is another fairly well-known disciple biblically, if we know anything about him. Um, There's often a word associated with him, which is a bit rough. It's like poor Thomas or he's the one. No, I think it was one else. I don't know until you finish the sentence. Um, the, he's not the one that's always screwing up. <laughs> That's so rough. No, Peter's the one who's always screwed up. Yeah, it's Peter. Yeah, yeah, it's poor Peter who's always. But Thomas is normally known as doubting Thomas because he's the one that post Jesus's resurrection, all the other disciples are like, "We just saw the Lord," mm. and Thomas is like, "Nah, you didn't." <laughs> needed those and, and <laughs> show me the hands and yes, show me the sides. Putting your fingers through the hole and that gross grossness, Thomas. Thomas also has another name, which is called, he's called Didymus, which means the twin. So it's highly likely that Thomas had a twin brother out there somewhere. Otherwise, it's a really weird nickname to have, right? <laughs> I don't call Josh you the twin because you don't have a twin <laughs> brother. It would be a weird nickname to give you. Um, you got James, son of Alpheus, which I think is just there so we don't get him confused with James, son of Zebedee. Mm. So two James already on the list. Not to be confused with James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote one of the books of the New Testament, because we have very limited amount of names. Um, Thaddeus is another one that appears on our list here in Matthew. Thaddeus. So (laughs) we're pretty sure that he is actually who the other Gospels refer to as Judas, 
But given the negative light that came over the name of Judas, mm. I suspect he uh, wanted to go by a different name later on. Because uh, that's right, there's multiple Judases. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there's two Judases on this list, but one of them we call Thaddeus because the name Judas got a little bit ruined by the last member of the list. Thaddeus is just a funny word. Sorry. <laughs> just quickly, just Thaddeus. I don't know. I find that funny. <laughs> that's rough. And we got Simon, the, the zealot. So just another Simon, because once again, we've got such limited names in the first century Israel. Um, what's probably important is that there was something known as the Zealot Party, which was like a radical extremist military organization. But Simon comes from a period of time before that was kind of an official thing. Mm. So when he's called the Zealot, it's probably that he had like a zeal for God's law or a zeal for compassion or a zeal for charity like there was probably an element that he was very well known for having a zeal for rather than being some sort of military warrior mm. because that party didn't actually originate till late first century oh, okay so not like a zealot that was against the roman occupation yeah yeah because there was a distinct group that was trying to mm. knock out the romans that were called the zealot party oh. and then the very That's last person on our list is judas iscariot <laughs> Oh, Judas. <laughs> yeah, the gets a bad rap, but I mean, sort of fairly. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, even here he's mentioned as who betrayed him. Like we, And it, and if you know the story already, you exactly know. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be quite interesting, though, if you, if you had no idea any of the story and you were reading this, for the first, reading this for the first time without any knowledge of Jesus being betrayed and dying later, I wonder what you would have thought reading that with a you know your mind starts to think of oh he's gonna get portrayed like if if for yeah what what sort of thoughts would have popped up with because it's obviously written after the fact yes being able to it's not it's not written during like during it was written post betrayal and and death it'd be the this bit would be that bit in the movie where a character who's been around that you thought was a good guy for most of the story so far suddenly does like a, a suspicious wink or look as the music tones change <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. Mm. Were any of those names or backstories familiar to you, Morgan, having come into the Bible a bit newer? I've heard the names but I didn't know who they were or, yeah, I didn't know anything about them but I've heard a few of the names before. And funnily enough, a lot of Christian families I know have lots of kids with like Andrew, James, Philip. Classic, yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes. There, there are even some names for me that I've, I've not really ever heard, like Thaddeus, uh, Thaddeus, Thaddeus, Bartholomew. Briefly, if ever, like, know too much about Philip is also one that I've not really have too much knowledge. I think it's the classic characters. Well, I call them classic of Peter, um, Peter, Andrew, John, Matthew, because we're reading Matthew. Mm. Yeah, and then sort of the rest, <clears throat> and then obviously Judas, but the rest sort of maybe get put to the wayside as we sort of talk about, as we sort of always look at the most common stories. Yeah, we don't have time to focus on all of their stories. No, no. And it would be quite interesting to um, sort of do a deep dive of each individual person, mm. both prior to crucifixion and after crucifixion of um, just their lives and, and what they were, what they're all about. Yeah, hundred percent. What they did, it would just be an interest. If you know, just be um, biopic. Yeah, because someone like Thomas gets a real bad rap. He's the disciple who doubted Jesus, and yet then he went and preached the gospel for the rest of his life, and ended ended up dying for his faith in India. Mm. Like that is the traditional understanding of where Thomas ended up. And so these men, even the ones that aren't given a lot of attention in scripture, like worked so hard for the gospel and their faith post the resurrection because they were so convinced it was true, which, like, of course they did. Like, these were the the 12 men chosen by Jesus to be his close disciples and to be the ones that he would send out as apostles. It's a big honour too. It's, um, I'm just trying to think how I would I would feel giving giving this and, you know, and having, and especially as we go into the instructions of what, of what to do um, more specifically, um, you know, I, I think it'd be quite empowering to be um, this person that you're following, you're learning from, you're getting to see all these miracles, um, being with them, talking to them, and um, and then getting told, you know, I'm choosing you would be um, quite an honour, I think, and mm-hmm. be quite quite special. 
and also a bit daunting at the same time. Because uh, there's a part of me that if I got told to perform these miracles like Jesus <laughs> did, there would be a part of me that would start to to almost doubt whether or not I could do. Yeah. And then from that doubt, not perform them or not even try, not even try, not even get to the point of trying to, to, to even proving that I could. Um, yeah. So it's, um, it's remarkable that they've, they've gone out and done. Mm. Why is there 12 disciples slash apostles? Mm. Why the number 12? Is there a reason? Well, I believe Josh was reading this from his study Bible early on, which <laughs> made me feel like I'm not even needed here on this podcast. Oh, it wasn't it wasn't about the 12, was it? I think that was me, the 12 tribes. Yeah. Was that me? Is oh, that what you're was, talking about? Yeah, someone was reading it from their study Bible and making me feel like I'm not needed on this podcast. Yeah, something mentioned in here that it could relate to the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Like his whole thing is the true, more perfect Israel. And so he chooses 12 men to represent those 12 tribes as like, uh, this is my new version. Now, interestingly, it's exceptionally unlikely that those 12 men represented genetically those 12 tribes. Um, If you look at Israelite history, nine to 10 of those tribes are wiped out like mm. hundreds of years before this moment. And so the only tribes that were really left that could actually trace their lineage was Judah, Benjamin, or the Levites. And so there's only really three of the, the 12 remaining, but these mm. 12 men from whatever tribes they happen to be from, probably those three, um, were to represent Israel and to represent that in a way that Jesus is doing something new mm. with this old historical concept. Not to mention uh, Jesus is also meant to come from one of those lines. Mm. So, you know, if, if it was really to represent, it would have to be 11 apostles. 11 apostles and Jesus is the representative from Ref- Judah. Yeah. But I think we are meant to see Jesus as standing above it. Yes, that's true. Yeah. We don't want to see him on equal or on par with mm. these, this group because he is their teacher. Yes. And I mean, effectively, by the end of the gospel, there's only 11 of them left anyway because of uh Judas. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I mean, Matthew <laughs> gave the spoiler first. That's true. It's true. In my defense. Oh, so that's that's the people Jesus is about to send out. Mm. We should probably now dig into exactly what he tells them to do as they go out. This is, it's long. It's It was my first, like, thought of, um, especially because, like, you know, in your modern-day Bibles, it's quite nicely, like, the all the miracles are quite nicely, like, sort of laid out and with their different subheadings if you've got that style of Bible. And then this one, I then get to it, I'm like, whew, it's, he's, Jesus is really, really talking here. <laughs> it's really, um, like, rightly so. It's, um, these are, these are instructions given, given mm. out. And, and my thoughts were, these are not only instructions for uh, his disciples, but then also further us. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Because I think there's a few instructions here that we are not meant to take. Oh. And that's why I, I'm curious about that comment because I agree God's word. We should apply it and understand it and see how it applies to us. But when Jesus says something like, do not go to the Gentiles, do not go to the Samaritans, mm. like is, is that a, a command for us as well? What would the Gentiles or the Samaritans represent for us today, if that makes sense. What would be the... Um, the equivalent? Yes. Yeah. What would be the equivalent? Well, so f- Samaritans and Gentiles are just anyone who's not Jewish. So Jesus is explicitly telling his 12 apostles here, go to the Jews. Mm. Now, if you were trying to apply that to us today, some people would make the link between the church and the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it would be fair to say that this is teaching, therefore, just go to the church and don't go outside of it. That's true. Which yeah. leaves us with a bigger question of what then is the purpose? What What is going on here? Why does Jesus just send them to the Gentiles and the Samaritans? Sorry, just send them to the Jews and not the Gentiles and Samaritans. I want to suggest that a lot of what Jesus is saying in this sermon is about a specific time-bound mission. Mm. And so Jesus' earthly ministry is often directed just to the Jews. They were the ones expecting a Messiah. They were the ones with thousands of years worth of context to understand who Jesus was. And they are the people he's urgently trying to reach with his earthly ministry. 
Now, we saw last week him heal the servant of a centurion, of a Gentile man. We'll see other healings and interactions of Jesus with Gentiles and Samaritans. And this gospel ends with the command to take this gospel to every single nation. So Jesus in no way was just about the Jews. But I think in his earthly ministry, they were the focus because they had all the backing that they needed to actually understand who he was. Mm. And so I think there are elements of this sermon that we should absolutely take and apply as we go out among the world. But there's also elements we really need to recognize as this was a very specific time-bound mission to these cities in Israel over the course of however long this mission took his disciples to do. Yeah, and and it's the I'm I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves mm. is where I started to have that thoughts of um, how it applies to us. Yeah, 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 and like and, some of those bits 100 percent yeah. do apply to us in terms of like evangelism. Some people like to you know the gung ho um, on the side of the street with a sign, <laughs> the end is near, repent, repent, <laughs> repent, and mm-hmm. then the other you know there's that one method, and then there's probably more gentle approaches. But here it's sort of saying like only go to those that are, are wanting to welcome you or listen and listen to you so it's it's you know it's not even trying to um reach those that are like in the extremist of difficulties like it's not it's go to go to the reach of where it, it is possible um don't don't make this mission of yours um impossible or even harder for yourself go go to those that are trying to lean in uh, already or or willing to 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 listen to you already because you'll be more effective there uh, rather than those that are um, where you're just probably going to waste your time with um, to be frank and which then think about for us it's I think we sometimes can waste our time on those that have already made up their mind on Christians and on on us when we're sort of talking and that if you really wanted to evangelize to someone that maybe it is more beneficial uh, to those that are maybe more leaning into into it and more willing to actually actually listen than those that will shut you down quite quite quickly. Depends on the person and the situation. Because there's a very relational form of ministry here. Like mm. you, you go accept the hospitality of someone, live with them, use that as a base to almost reach that person's network and them with the gospel, with this good news which I think is actually a really, really excellent model for us to think about and follow. Mm. Um, I'm hoping that we all do evangelism, slash talk about the gospel mm-hmm. in our daily, regular lives. Um, interested in a bit of your story, Morgan, when it comes to how people reached you with the gospel. Is there anything in here that rings true for you? For me, I was, very, I was a very big skeptic and I was very hesitant. I wanted proof and I wanted lots of answers. I was very hungry for knowledge, so I did a lot of research on my own. Um, I did a BDC group learning things. I did a um, kind of a begin- like beginner's course at my church. Um, yeah, I just had a lot of questions and I tried to connect with people similar, with similar stories to me that were already Christians. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm like a results person I needed to see <laughs> yeah. first. Yeah. yeah. That's good. And it's good that you found the people that you needed mm. as well. Um, and then and then in turn, on the on the other hand, they also gave you what you needed as well. Yeah. And now I've got people coming to me that have seen that and they're like, hey, look, if you can do it, can you show me how to do it? Mm. And that's kind of the beauty of the whole thing. Mm. Um, you just kind of have to connect with people, yeah, how they need it, a way that works for them. I think, yeah. No, definitely. And it, and it can be tricky if if you're trying to guide sort of someone, you don't want to guide them the wrong way or do or do something where you think it's they'll really resonate with it, but then it's done the complete opposite. So it can be very tricky. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's great to hear. Yeah, and I had a very different idea of what Christianity looked like. I thought it was very culty and very <laughs> <laughs> scary. But um, I was really shocked it was just like normal people. And Josh. And Josh. And me. <laughs> Sorry. You were just such an easy target right then. I apologize. Well, there's only three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but now my rude comment goes out to all of our listeners as well. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of other elements in this passage that I don't think we're specifically meant to copy but would be interesting to chat about is when Jesus says, do not get a sandals or walking staff or like do not get these things 
Do not get any gold or silver for your belts. No extra bags. Like he's basically sending them out with with absolutely nothing. How long were they out doing this? Um, Because, yeah, I read that thinking, oh, okay. Um, Are they meant to get stuff whilst out there? Because it's like, oh, you're wearing the same clothes for the however long the duration <laughs> duration is they probably did that anyway to be honest yeah true was this a was this a short term sort of mission or was this something that they just that they from this point on just went went out and did like was there a time frame on this that sort of jesus gave them instructed them i think there was definitely a time frame matthew doesn't explain to us what that time frame is um this same sermon slash event is recorded in the gospel of luke luke also doesn't give us a time frame but he reports them coming back from this mission full of joy full of excitement because they performed miracles they cast out demons they were like ecstatic they were like jesus it all worked and so we know it was time bound because they came back from this mission having in some way finished it Um, which is where i think this command is bound in so in the mark version of this sermon um mark says do not take an extra sandal or an extra staff. And so what I think Matthew is saying here in similar language is don't go get extra money. Don't go get extra sandals and staffs. Just take what you have right now and go. You don't need lots of supplies because this is a short time-bound mission and your father has promised to provide for you while on this mission. Yeah, it's that whole faith thing. Have faith. Yeah, because we see that Jesus expects them to find hospitable people Mm. and live with them which in the first century was a pretty normal thing. Mm. Like you would rock up to a town and someone would take you in for the night. Like that was that was an expectation almost on the social goodwill of people to take you in, which I don't think is the current expectation on, let's say, a missionary or a gospel worker mm. to just survive by people's hospitality. Because when we look at the writings of Paul, he makes it a bit clearer that gospel workers deserve to be paid and that's not just in hospitality and the goodwill of others. That's They deserve to be paid for their work. Mm. And so, mm. again, I think that's another bit of this passage where we see, hey, this is time-bound and specific. Jesus had a distinct plan for this period of time and he wanted his disciples to go, 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 and this is why he was given these instructions at this point. There's also a bit of urgency in it where it says um, – when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. It's kind of like he is in a rush for like an urgency to get that message out there, like you were saying before. But I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, that's thinking fine. about it. That's all right, because you're right. There's great urgency there. But I think we begin to see a, a shift in this passage around the verse 16 mark, um, which is, Josh, you started pointing out the, the sheep among wolves, and that's the bit where you... When you first read it, you're like, oh, this this applies to us. Because mm. I think when we get to around verse 16, we start seeing less of the specifics of what is just these disciples are meant to do and start to see more general principles that all of his disciples in every evangelistic endeavor from now on can kind of start to take. And I think there is a bit of a shift towards a more long-term view rather than the urgency of the first 15 verses. It's sort of the, the be wary part of it. Um be on your be on your guard, and the um, it's just interesting how like um, on my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnessed, mm. and as I like even even now I would argue that our you know current um, kings governors all have the have a level of knowing who Jesus is, uh, whether in great detail or just because it's what's in the zeitgeist, still extends to our um, time period today. And one of the reasons we see this shift to the longer-term thing is when you read further forward into the Bible, to the book of Acts, we read the stories of them before governors and kings Mm. on account of their faith in Jesus, on account of their preaching. And that is very much a thing that still happens today. Like there are countries that Christian mission organizations call closed countries because you cannot go there as a gospel worker. And so they use more creative means to get people into those countries. Mm. You can't just rock up as a missionary. No, it's quite, quite dangerous. Mm. Yeah, there's a someone I used to know who who used to do that a long time ago. Don't don't have too many stories, but yeah, I remember hearing that they would they would be trying to um, go over to those more dangerous places where if they did find out, you would be imprisoned and probably killed. 
Or at the very least deported. Or at the very least deported. <laughs> you would hope that's probably where it went rather than the the latter. Yeah, because having gone to a missionary college, we had a lot of speakers in who just would never reveal where they're actually working mm. because that is just dangerous information. Mm-hmm. Like you can say, hey, I'm a Christian missionary in Bali. That's not the biggest deal in the world. But there's certain countries you cannot announce what you are doing there. Otherwise, you'll be dragged before kings and governors. Mm. Are we at all concerned that Jesus here tells us to be like serpents, given the quite negative connotations of serpents in the Bible? Yeah, so mine says, um, so be wise as serpents. That's mm. wise. So wise. So be on guard. Yeah. Watch out. Because mm. serpents definitely are seen as cunning in the Bible. And so there's that type of like worldly wisdom in a sense of like mm. just be aware of what's going on around you, mm. be on the lookout. But then the the negative connotation of serpents is then immediately balanced out with, but be as innocent as doves. Like mm. that that's literally being unmixed, being pure, being transparent. It's something that is all about total honesty of your character. And so have the wisdom and cunning of a serpent, but the total innocence, transparency, honesty of a dove, mm. which is like he's really taking the best of both animals. <laughs> yeah. And I've never I've never thought of a snake as Cunning or, or well, not necessarily cunning, wise, I should say. Cunning, yes, wise, no. But I think that's more that comes from a background of uh, of pop culture, mm-hmm. um, like movies and different things. Yeah, cunning, definitely. Wise is new, but that's no, uh, I understand. The Australian context is also different just in terms of how we yeah. view snakes. Like, we have what 10 most deadly snakes in the world, we have mm-hmm. most of them. And so snakes are just a normal part of life, a dangerous part of life, but Mm. no one has died of a snake bite in Australia for a long, long time. So it's still like dangerous, but we've learned to live with it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost interesting that saying it's like not if you're arrested, but when they arrest you. (laughs) What an awful expectation. (laughs) It's like that, you know, something bad will most likely happen in your, um, because of your belief, Mm. unfortunately. Um, However... In saying that, it's the spirit of the Father will speak through you, and so even even in these, they like, saw so maybe saw so more tougher times, and even in these un, um, unfortunate circumstances, whatever you whatever you say, the, the Father will be speaking through you, which is yeah, encouraging to hear that mm. in, even in those moments of of real sort of um, darkness, that that it might that your your own faith might cause you. Um, unfortunately, the Father is still there. That is honestly one of the most encouraging verses in scripture. Like I love that verse. Mm. The when, I don't know what swearing is allowed on this podcast, when poo hits the fan, (laughs) like God your father is looking out for you. Like he will speak through you in these moments. He has your back. And I really lean and rely on that in so many situations. Mm. I go into what is going to be a hard pastoral conversation and I go, Father, Holy Spirit, like, please let you be speaking here. Mm. I go into a sermon and I go, please let this be your words here. Please be speaking through me. Like, there's just, there's a promise and encouragement here that God is working through and for us. And Mm. I I just find that so exceptionally encouraging. Mm. Always got your back. Same as, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Same kind of thing. Mm. Very encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) So. It's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. But I mean, if they hated Jesus, they will hate us. They will hate his followers as well. But the one who stands firm will be saved in the end. Mm, another excellent promise. And that's, a, you know, that's the tough thing of like, you know, sticking it out. Because you get beat down, beat down, beat down. But just keep keep going. Hold on. You know, and some people can get really persecuted. But it's all for the greater the next the next stages not this not this stage here on earth preachers love sports analogies the bible has like two like marathon analogies throughout the entirety of it but they really portray the christian journey as like a big race as a big sporting match and you're in it it's hard but ultimately if you persevere to the end you'll be saved you'll be good and so i always find that encouraging mm. So we're talking about kind of time frames before and then we see in 23 it says through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Mm. So it kind of sounds like they had an idea of time 
we're waiting for that. What what do you think about that, Lockie? That is one of the more confusing verses in the Bible because there's so many unknowns to be figured out, right? And so firstly, you've got to figure out what verse 23 means when it says, finish going through these towns. So like one option is, is that preaching the gospel in every town? Is that number two, conversion of all of these towns? Or number three, the previous verse talks about fleeing from persecution. Is that I've run out of places to flee from persecution, and that is what it means by going through all the towns of Israel. So it's like those are three questions. But then you also have to ask what it means by the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is already there amongst them, but the three kind of assumptions of the coming of the Son of Son of Man of Jesus is his resurrection, he comes back from the dead, he arrives as the glorified Messiah to his followers. The next option that lots of people like to suggest is um, Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem gets destroyed in 70 AD. And so it's thought that some of the judgment that Jesus talks about later on in this gospel is like really fulfilled in that moment after Jesus's resurrection. And then the third option is just the second coming of Christ, the end of the age, what we're all waiting for. Um, I think it makes the most sense to see this as their specific time-bound mission is not fulfilled because this part of the sermon has moved beyond to the wider scale. And so I think when it says this, you won't finish going through these towns before the Son of Man comes, it's not everyone is going to have heard the gospel. Like you're not even going to finish doing that by the time Jesus comes back, mm. second coming, is what I think makes the most sense of this verse. But like I said, there's a lot of options for what every element of this verse means, which leaves us in a confusing place about what exactly Jesus is teaching here. And even, you know, during that time, you know, people are having kids and like generations and generations are still still happening. So the mission is still always there because there are new people being born and yet to, yet to hear, hear about Jesus and hear mm. about how God. So the, the mission is always going. There's never this end point. Um, I, I think purely on, on that stance. I also think of it as in terms of for us, um, Israel being our world and that we still are having to go through our, our own world and, and um, until the Son of Man comes again. Mm. Yeah, because even like we, we obviously are given the command at the very end of the gospel to go out to all the nations with this gospel, with this good message. I think if anything, this verse encourages us and reminds us that mission through or mission to God's kind of original people, Israel, must also continue along with that new Gentile mission. So Jesus broadens the scope and says, go out to the world. But verse 23, he reminds us that Israel is very much a part of that world. There are plenty of Jewish people in this world who haven't realized their Messiah has already come. Mm. And mission to them is just as important as going out to every nation on earth so that everyone may hear. Mm. Mm. And that that mission can extend to even your your, um, your fellow Christian brother and sister in in your own church. Um, some people just go through the motions of that's what you do on Sunday, um, and so even just to to those um, people, you know, extending extending out and and trying to bring bring them into a relationship, even though they still call them Christians, and even though they still just rock up to church, are they do they actually have the relationship there, or are they just just doing it? because mm. that's the thing you do. So going forward, we read about Beelzebul, which in my study Bible refers to Satan. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was doing some prep for a future episode where there's a proper conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders where they accuse him of being possessed by Beelzebul slash Satan. But clearly that's a conversation that's already been happened or an accusation that's already been made a few times now is they think that Jesus is doing his miracles from some type of power source and mm. attribute it to Satan, which is pretty rough. And that's back in chapter 9, right? No, going forward, actually. Do they say that in chapter 9? I thought it was in th- chapter 9, 34. But the Pharisees said it's by the prince of demons that he drives out the demons. You're absolutely right. It's also in chapter 9, but it will also reappear next mm. episode where there's a more fuller conversation fuller about conversation. it. Yep. And his name also means master of the house. Mm. So can you explain that, Lachlan? Yeah, sure. Um, Beelzebul was 
originally the name of a Canaanite god, which by this time period they had kind of adapted into just referring to a chief demon and then a bit later on that chief demon got associated with Satan. So it's like a long history of what the word meant. But by this time period it was this name represents Satan. Um, And it was generally agreed that Satan was the ruler of this world, that God had a plan for redemption and a plan to save it, but had effectively handed over the house Mm -hmm. to Satan. Not handed over. Satan had tried his best to take it. Yep. Mm. And so that's why the name sort of stuck for a while. It's it's kind of scary that the head of the house can be taken over and be called, you know, Satan, you know, the the head of the house, the leader of, of a house, the leader of a group can be influenced like that um, and then sort of it trickles trickles down from from that. It's kind of a bit, bit, bit scary. We didn't talk about it in our episode when we looked at the testing of Jesus in the wilderness, but there's a moment in that where Satan offers the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. Now, often when you read that passage, you go, well, Satan's always been a liar, so no, nah, Satan doesn't actually have all the kingdoms in the world to give to Jesus. And that's a perfectly very valid interpretation. Satan is a liar. But there's also another sense where he has that type of power and influence and authority, for lack of a better word. Jesus is going to take it all back off him. It's a very limited, time-bound authority. But master of the house is in many ways a very fair name to give to Satan in this time period. Master of the house to me just sounds odd because like when I go to church, they say the father's house or... Mm. We're in the father's house today, or I don't know if it's like they say that for that reason to like to to refer to the the head of the house. Yeah, like reiterating yeah. it. I don't know. I mean, even these days, it's not really. We've sort of not. We don't really in our sort of culture. We don't really have a head of a house. Mm. The head of the house may be your parents or mm. whoever the primary caretaker is, but. We don't really have the traditional sense of the of the head of the manor, or like you know, going to maybe more sort of the mm. European, um, Anglo um, sort of. There was a head of the the family, and then you had the children, the servants, and and all that, and sort of the the tree. It it could even um, be like uh, the kings and queens being the head mm. of head of that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one because in and in, in our sort of time in our time we don't. And we try to discourage like a just a pure head as well. We, yeah. And in, in 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 Australia, we have a tendency to also have a tall poppy syndrome, um, so we never really like heads and leaders. For some reason, <laughs> we want to pull that all down and mm. be like you're equal, or for some reason less than us, even though we've appointed you um, a leader. Uh, but anyway, the um, good old digress. Australian culture. Yep. But like like it all is saying, it's it's. It addresses the issue, but then says, you know, the um, what to do about it, or like, do not be afraid. There's this like sort of as we sort of go through it. There's that clear of this might happen, this will happen, but here's what you what you need to do, or do not be afraid, and do not what's this? It's nothing is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will be not made known. Mm. For I, what I tell you in the dark speaks in the daylight. Which is interesting off the back of last episode where we talked about the secrecy of Jesus. Mm. Like he, he kept performing these grand, amazing miracles and then telling the people he performed them to to not tell anyone. And yet here he's like, hey, everything that has happened in the dark, every word I've spoken to you is going to come out. And that's always been the plan. Now we talked earlier about um, how in terms of evangelism, we think personal relational evangelism is by far the more effective than standing on a box in the middle of a square (laughs) preaching about fire and brimstone. But the way this sermon ends is very much Jesus talking about fear and conflict and like almost mildly reminiscent of some of the worst examples we could probably think of with those street side preachers. And so I think it's worth digging into what exactly Mm. is going on when Jesus suddenly feels like fear and conflict uh, important conversational things to bring up. This feeds into that whole um, what's the what's the term like? We we have like a healthy fear of 
God, if that makes sense. Um, Fear of the Lord is an Old Testament concept that is everywhere. Mm, I remember the exact phrase that people say, which is quite interesting because I've always been brought up in the in sort of the Christian culture of the loving God, mm. the the and and loving one another and loving in the loving Jesus rather than sort of Old Testament fearing God. So it's always a bit strange when it's fear and hellfire brimstone and and all that. You're like oh. You almost forget that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's all part of it as well. I remember we spoke about that on a church camp we went on last mm. year. We spoke about it's healthy to have the the God-fearing mm. nature mm. to remind you of it's bigger than you, the power of it. I remember yeah. speaking about the healthy side of the fear. Yeah, yeah. And it and that stems from like you have a healthy fear. We naturally have a and, – and when we're like um, sort of developing as children, we, we develop an, a, a natural – healthy fear of things like not to touch a hot plate when you're um like put your full hand on a hot plate which is something i did um <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a child but you know that you um and sort of animals naturally have this um instinct it's a survival you you create these survival instincts mm. um and it's a way of sort of um keeping us us living so i don't uh, Fear sometimes always gets put this negative connotation uh, towards it, where um, there is this positive spin of a of a healthy fear mm. for something, and in this instance, healthy fear for um, our God. We were actually talking about this in my Bible study group just this past week, um, and one of the the members of this group really helpfully brought up C.S. Lewis and the the Narnia series. If you're familiar mm. with it, and there's this scene in the Narnia series where um, all the Narnians are talking to the humans that have come across to their land about Aslan, about this good ruler. And the kids are like, great, we're so keen to meet this glorious good ruler of this land. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Aslan the lion. And they go, what? He's a lion? And they're like, is he safe? And the Narnians are like, no, he's a lion. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Mm. Mm. And so it's that dynamic of, like when you truly understand what and who God is, there's a healthy awe, there's a healthy fear mm. of that, but he is good. In the same way that in the children's book, the, the children could approach Aslan the lion knowing that he is a lion, he is scary, he is meant to be feared, but he is good. Mm. And in this passage, it's actually both types of fear that are on display because there's Jesus teaches them to not be afraid of men, but instead to be afraid of God. But it's not to be unhealthily afraid of men, but to have a healthy fear or awe of God. Because ultimately, even if people persecute you, even if they put you to the sword, what is that in comparison to what God can do? But again, I also want to point us back to scripture. That's instantly contrasted. So in verse 28, it's like, don't be afraid of persecution. God is scarier, but then instantly it parallels with, and God cares for the sparrow. If God can care for this small, insignificant thing, he can care for you. And so it's the, the, the dualism there is wonderful of, yeah, you need a healthy fear of God because there's no point fearing man in comparison, but also God cares for you. He will look after you. And both things are being taught by Jesus at the end here of this sermon. And I, and I wonder if this is, uh, this adds well. I don't know if it adds to the confusion of the time, but like you know, the the, the Jewish people were wanting a a savior, mm. um, but a savior out of the Roman occupation, mm. and this was more a, a savior, not just out of the Roman occupation, but it was sort of out of out of the world. It's interesting how, like, again, going back to that, you get you get this like you know painted this lovely picture of Jesus, but then he's preaching about I am not, <laughs> I've not come here to bring peace, but I am a sword. Whoa. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like all right okay but i think it's like this hard truth that you sort of have to swallow and, and like okay you know it, it's god above all else mm. um it's it's not um worshiping your your parents your friends uh, whoever your son your daughter whoever it is more than him um not putting anyone else on this pedestal only only put god only put jesus on that pedestal mm. yeah because jesus is saying here that he 
his message will bring division. Mm. There will be people who believe it and their father won't. There will be people who believe it but their daughter won't. And that will separate families. This message will separate and divide people. And then in verse 37, he says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And I think that is where that is trying to land, mm. is it's not saying, hey, I want you to, to hate others around you or to expect to have a bad relationship with your parents or in-laws. Mm. It's saying, you need to put me first, which is exactly what you were saying, Josh. And I think mm. Matthew's really helpful here. So in the Luke version of this sermon, Luke uses the phrase, um, you must hate your mother and father. Now, <laughs> Matthew has been really kind to us and interpreted that saying for us. Mm. So anyone in the first century would have gone, ah, if Jesus tells me to hate my mother and father, all he's asking is for me to love Jesus more than them. Like they would have understood that idiom. Mm. But rather than leaving anything up to the imagination, Matthew just interprets it for us and tells us, no, Jesus is just saying, you need to love me more than these others. And so even though my message brings division mm. and not everyone will believe it, you need to put me first. Mm. And it was rings so true for today with the amount of different denominations, the amount of different movements, the amount of just ever so slightly difference in, in opinion. It's just crazy the uh, the infighting of like, but we're all Christians, right? We all believe the same. We all mm -hmm. essentially just believe the same things. Why are we like, yes, we can have healthy discussions about things and um, and healthy arguments to that extent and and to further our our own understanding you know that's that's completely fine but to the point of like where you're like but where you ha where you question of like but you love jesus right as, as much as i do right you know you know sometimes you have to like um even just even other people in your own in in church that might just not be on board with um you know your your missional vision uh, for 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 the church. You sort of have to sometimes tell yourself they love Jesus just as the same amount that I do as well. You know, it's it's I I, I just think it's crazy the amount of division even with our in our own faith it can it can have not just like someone who believes and who's someone who doesn't believe someone who believes and also believes there is this slight division that can cause. And at the end of the day, we love Jesus. And that's the main thing that should matter. Yeah, 100%. I also think this topic of division is planting a seed for what our next two episodes are going to be about. <laughs> so it plants a seed because we're about to hit a narrative section after we finish this sermon. And those narratives are all about people starting to reject or oppose what Jesus is teaching. And then his next sermon is just going to be on the different responses people have had to his message. And so this is planting the seed for the next little bit of Matthew, which is all about how people are responding to Jesus and the division that that is going to create. In verse 38, um, we read, whoever does not take his cross, this is before the crucifixion. So anything about that? I think it was potentially just a popular idiom, like the, the knowledge of people carrying their cross to their own death was a part of life. Mm -hmm. Like in that sense, the crucifixion of Jesus was nothing special because lots of people were being crucified. So I think using the illustration of carrying a burden for Jesus' sake is uh, like quite normal and probably wouldn't have surprised anyone. But given that we know how this story ends and okay. we know that Jesus literally carried his own cross up to his crucifixion, it just gives us a bit of a different window, a different perspective when we see Jesus teaching it because we know that he is going to live this. This is not empty words. Yeah. This is like the most grounded thing ever. Interesting. I sort of like how this sermon of Jesus ends with such a low bar. Now, what I mean by that is this sermon has asked a lot of his disciples, has asked them to be prepared to face death, face persecution, have family divisions, for his name's sake, because it's important that this gospel is being preached. So it's, it's set a really high bar. But then the final line of the sermon is, um, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. Like it suddenly ends on such a low bar, which is caring for even the lowest 
the most lowly of Jesus' disciples, mm. you certainly will not lose your reward for caring for others, mm. which is just such a gear change. Like you, you're cruising at like gear five on the highway and suddenly Jesus ends the sermon in gear one. You're like, well, that was a really low bar. <laughs> for whenever it talks about rewards in heaven, mm. I'm always confused yeah, um, by it. Uh, because on one hand, you talk about uh, all these rewards, but then there's also these other sort of commandments that that Jesus says, or even just you get to heaven if you um, follow and believe and you know devote your the life to Jesus. Then and you've got all these other rewards in heaven. You're like, well, is there a tier system in heaven? Do you just get to go to heaven and then do you get all this other like exclusive stuff, or is it? <laughs> The like, pre-order, pre, like, yeah. Like, do you, do you get those re, do you get those rewards? But then that feels contradictive to what Jesus's mission was. I think Western Christianity has flattened out any conceivable difference in terms of heavenly rewards, but also in punishment. Whereas the mm. Bible talks about rewards, which inherently are different, and it talks about being punished for your deeds, which is inherently different. So I don't think we have a proper picture of what that looks like. I don't think there's going to be a tiering system, mm. but there's some type of reality for there are rewards. Whatever that looks like, I don't know. Because again, this is where the bar is set quite low. Anyone who welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Like if all I have to do is welcome a righteous person and I get their reward, like that suddenly throws the entire system out the window, to be honest. Like it's not seemed to be based on a lot if it's that easy to obtain. So short answer, I don't actually know what it looks like to have different rewards in heaven, but the Bible speaks a lot about rewards of heaven. Is that just the reward of eternity with your father? Mm. Maybe. Is there something more to it? Also, maybe. Maybe. Maybe it is just saying this is stating that this is simple to everyone, that this is simple and it doesn't have to be complex. I really appreciated looking at just a single chapter of Matthew for a, for an episode um, because it's the self-contained sermon of Jesus, so it deserves mm. its own episode by itself. Um, but what I loved about this sermon is that Jesus has such compassion on the people he's seeing and there's such a need for those to work in the harvest field. And so that's my big takeaway is there's a beauty and a specialness to being asked to participate with God in his own mission. And that is what Jesus asks of his followers here, both in that time-bound mission and very mm. much ongoing. I took away um, a part from verse 20, for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So I think no matter when you're talking to someone and you don't actually know what the right thing to say is to help them, mm. especially me as a newbie, like sometimes I feel like I don't know what to say to someone. Um, to just not put too much thought into it and just trust in what I'm saying yeah. and it'll be the right thing. Yeah, and my I think my takeaway is just that no matter what sort of persecution, what sort of things you'll go through, what divisions that that happen because of your faith, God's still got your got your back. Um, Jesus is still there there for you and you will get those rewards uh, in in heaven and that it's it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult, but don't be afraid. Do the hard, do the hard slog, because at the end of that marathon, you know you will you will get there, and they'll welcome you with with open arms into heaven. Well, as we as we close this out, um, again, comment, send us messages, and of anything that you got through, we just we would just love to hear what you got out of uh, this this passage, uh, Jesus's sermon. Send in any questions because we'd love any any questions uh, so that we can try and answer them next time. And we just want to challenge you to 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 go out and share the podcast uh, to uh, everyone in 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 your life and to those that you think might might need this, or it just might be someone someone random. Like, bam, share it, <laughs> go for it. You know, we'd love to for this to continue to to spread, and and that's through your your sharing of it that we're able to sort of spread what we're doing here today. Again, we, you can listen to all of our podcasts on where on your favorite podcast platforms or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to keep up to date with all of our social medias, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and the like. Look at the link tree, all of our stuff's there. 
And I'll just close out on a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come here today, that we can record and read your your word and and hear your your message, that we can hear your son's sermon, Lord. And we pray that we are like the disciples, like the 12 apostles, that we're able to also fill out your mission, Lord, and that we're able to go out into into the world and and have have faith and and in the tough times stick it stick through it lord knowing that you've got our backs lord and we know that and we thank that you can speak through us lord that even in the times that we do not know the words that we may be able to say that we have faith that you will be speaking through us lord and we we thank you for lord, for that lord and for any division that comes lord that we all love you we 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 love jesus and that despite whatever division that may may come up that you you are with us always lord and lord pray for the week ahead for both Lockie and for morgan that you're with with them and for any of our listeners that you're you're still with them lord in jesus mighty name i pray amen amen amen, amen. thank you guys thanks for joining us thanks, again thank and you we'll see you in the next one Bye. A Mustard Seed Creative Production. <laughs>